Chapter Ten of Recollections of Imperial Russia by Mariel Buchanan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Legend of the False Dmitri. Ivan the Terrible was dead, and his younger son Theodore, married to Irina, the sister of Boris Godunov, succeeded to the throne. Weak, fat, with a lisping speech, vacantly smiling eyes, and a passion for long church services and endless prostrations before the holy icons, he was little more than a figurehead, the government of the country being almost entirely in the hands of his brother-in-law, who, having first sent Ivan's last wife Maria Nagoy with her little son Dmitri into exile at Uglitch, next proceeded to get rid of Bilsky, Shuisky, Romanov, and Mstislavsky from the council till finally he made himself regent, Tsar in all but name. During our stay in Moscow in 1912, we were taken to see the opera of Boris Gudunov with Chalyapin, that great singer and still greater actor in the principal part. I had seen the opera already several times in Petersburg, but in the great red and white theatre of Moscow, with every one of the four thousand seats occupied, with the walls of the Kremlin only a few yards away, with the silence of the snow covering the city, and now and then the golden sound of bells from one of the four hundred and fifty churches, one seemed to be living again those days of long ago. Chalyapin, with his marvellous representation of Boris Gudunov, has made the name of the great Boryerin famous all over the world, and one cannot help always seeing him as he is in the opera, superb and majestic in the long robe of gold brocade, when he comes out of the church after his coronation and addresses the people, or magnificent, wild-eyed, haunted, pursued by phantoms, inciting his son to be a great Tsar, while all the time his restless hands play with a crimson silk handkerchief. Descendant of a Tartar who took service under Ivan Kalyata and became a Christian, Boris, though short of stature, was known to have a commanding presence, to possess a marvellous gift of eloquence and a keen judgment. Uneducated and ignorant in many ways, he believed in the stars, and was intensely superstitious. Had not the astrologers told him he would be Tsar of Russia? Who would not believe a prophecy like that? In the half-Oriental mind the dream had grown, and one by one the obstacles in his path were swept aside. Step by step he worked himself up to a position of unquestioned power. Knowing all this, one cannot help believing that the murder at Uglich must have been done at his instigation, and yet the official report drawn up by Vasily Shuisky entirely exonerates the region from any part of the crime, and Shuisky was in all things his most implacable enemy. If he had found it possible, he would surely have cast some shadow of suspicion on the name of Gudunov. With red-golden hair and bright blue eyes, Dmitri, the son of Ivan, was growing up, ignorant that his name was to provide one of the greatest, as well as the most dramatic, of all the mysteries that filled the history of Russia. Carefully guarded by his mother, Maria Nagoy, he lived in Uglich, happily, perhaps, with his uncles, his governess, Vasilisa Volokhov, and his nurse, Irina Tuchkova. Already it seemed following in the steps of his terrible father, subject to fits of ungovernable rage, taking pleasure in seeing animals killed or tortured. And the citizens of Uglich loved their little prince. The hand of the terrible Tsar had not weighed on them over heavily. The terror that surrounded his name was in their eyes something of a halo. He was to be feared, therefore he was to be humbly worshipped and obeyed. Consequently, he must be great." 
in such queer distorted fashion does the mind of the russian peasant work and good-humouredly the violence of the little boy was laughed at his turbulent passion commented on see how brave he was how determined how full of spirit said the citizens of uglich and smilingly took off their caps as they watched him pass so anxiously shielded by his mother who seems always to have feared some harm befalling him the little seven-year-old dmitri reached the fatal afternoon of the fifteenth of may fifteen ninety one and out of all the welter of facts and suppositions of possibilities and actualities three aspects of the tragedy stand out more or less distinctly perhaps the most widely spread account of all as well as the most generally believed is that while his mother slept during the heat of the afternoon dmitri playing in the courtyard of the palace was approached by joseph volokhoff the son of his governess bending over him volokhoff asked the little prince to show him a collar of precious stones he wore round his neck and as the child trustingly lifted his head struck fiercely at his throat with a knife he had carried concealed hearing the child shriek his nurse rushed out of the palace but bitigorsky and karchalov paid emissaries of gudnov who had been hiding pushed her away and swiftly finished the work volokhoff had begun wakened by the commotion maria nagoy in her turn appeared adding her screams to that of the nurse the while she violently attacked the governess as being responsible for the crime to add to the confusion the bell of the church tower of st saviour's which overlooked the courtyard of the palace suddenly began to peal the alarm rung by some unknown hand and startled from their afternoon sleep the citizens of uglich hurried up to the palace saw the body of their little prince bathed in blood and without staying to find out the true facts wrecked their vengeance on the murderers then was prince vasily shuisky sent to uglich to make official inquiries into the matter and finally drew up a report that having suffered for several days from recurrent attacks of epilepsy the tsarevich dmitri playing with three companions fell into sudden convulsions during which he seized a knife and fatally wounded himself in the throat the furious ringing of the alarm bell brought the citizens to the palace they had mistaken the scene which had met their eyes and jumping to conclusions had murdered innocent people accordingly for this crime of avenging a prince of the royal blood they were grievously punished two hundred of them were condemned to death hundreds more were sent to siberia while with them into exile went the great bell of st saviour's which had rung the tocsin uncalled for and thereby caused such dire confusion at last still more incredible comes the third story namely that it was not dmitri at all who was laid in state in the cathedral of the transfiguration that some other little boy had been killed in his stead that only slightly wounded he had been carried off by his uncle atanas nagoy and kept hidden in a secret place in support of this theory jerome horsey then at yaroslavl relates how atnas came to him late one night begging for medicine for his sister maria nagoy who he said had been poisoned and was grievously ill but maria nagoy was then at uglich nor is there any mention of her having been ill at the time for whom then did atnas so urgently want medicine and why had he fled from uglich why were the citizens of that town well-nigh exterminated for what offence was maria nagoy banished to a far distant convent vain conjectures and possibilities questions to which there is never any answer a maze of theories that all seem intangible a mystery that baffles and eludes from whichever point one examines it 
for the years passed on the feeble-minded vacantly smiling tsar theodore slipped quietly out of the world and with him died the ruling line of the great house of rurik the blood of vladimir still flamed in the veins of the dalgorokis the lobanovs the gargarins and the shueskis but the direct succession of the hardy prolific princes of kiev had died for theodore left no children steadily refusing the crown his wife the tsarina irena retired into a convent and urged on by the patriarch job the people clamoured for boris emphatically at first he refused but a sabor or public committee was elected and chose him as tsar and at last a huge deputation led by the patriarch and the icon of the holy virgin of vladimir came to find him at Navadivichi, when reluctantly with tears running down his cheeks he allowed himself to be persuaded to accept the crown was it all a magnificent piece of play-acting on the part of this descendant of a tartar chief or at the last moment did that empty throne whose steps were slippery with blood cast a sudden terror on his superstitious mind and yet once crowned tsar boris for all his unpopularity was a great ruler he was clement and just he encouraged foreign trade tried to bring western civilization into the country that having been so long under tartar domination had become imbued with oriental customs he did all in his power to ameliorate the lot of the peasants sent young russians to be educated at foreign universities tried to induce english french and german professors to come to russia and arranged a marriage between his daughter tsinya and a danish prince misfortune seemed however to dog the footsteps of the upstart tsar the danish prince arriving in moscow to marry tsinya died of overeating it was said a terrible famine swept the country not all the money he so generously dispersed could allay the frightful sufferings of the people the young nobles never returned from the foreign universities to spread their cultivated refinement through the country signs and portents foretelling calamity and disaster were seen all over russia the tsarina irena died in her convent prophesying years of sorrow and always do what he would in the eyes of the people imbued with legends and superstition boris was not the rightful tsar they had chosen him and acclaimed him and yet in their hearts they could never do him homage he could never be more than a pretender and a usurper often looking out over the city of moscow with its fantastic medley of churches palaces and wretched hovels the dark eastern eyes of the man who had dared to seize the crown of the rurik princes must have been full of utter despair bitter disappointed fighting vainly against unconquerable elements pursued by phantoms so it is chalyapin represents him and so it is one cannot help seeing him and feeling sympathy with him then in the winter of sixteen o three to sixteen o four the name that for so many years was to cause strife and bloodshed throughout the lands of russia began to be whispered furtively at first and then ever more loudly more persistently with greater confidence dmitri the son of ivan the terrible the false dmitri the phantom tsar surely in no other country but russia that land of unsolved secrets and eternal mysteries could such a story be possible a story that till this day has never been fully understood or explained that all the chronicles all the histories seem only to make more involved who was the first false dmitri was he in truth the monk grishka or gregory otrypiev the theory seems to be lacking in certainty and entire reliability and yet it is supported by a good many historians 
Grishka Atreyapev, born of humble parents, was originally a servant in the house of the Romanovs, and being sent away in disgrace, entered a monastery. Always unruly and unrefined, an incorrigible vagabond, he wandered from place to place, and at Kiev, on the excuse of a pretended illness, confessed to a priest that he was Dmitri, the son of Ivan, showing as a proof a jewelled cross how he further obtained confidence and support how he was received by the king of poland how the magic of his name spread like wildfire through the country seems almost incredible when one examines his antecedents to add to the confusion of it all comes the theory that there were two monks who pretended to be rishka atrepia and to one's further hopeless mystification the historians differ and contradict each other some affirming that the real grishka changed places with a companion named leonid who subsequently called himself atrepiev others stating that the false dmitri was a totally different person and never had anything to do with the renegade monk till he ordered him to come to his court at Putyul and even took him with him in his following to moscow from where he was presently exiled to yaroslav on account of his disorderly behaviour but if the phantom tsar was not grishka atreyepiev who was he the question then as now remained unanswered and dmitri assembling his army at Putyul and paying his passionate court to marina the daughter of the palatine of sandemir continued to be a growing danger an unsolvable enigma defeated by the troops of boris pressed and besieged on all sides he yet remained unconquerable his popularity the mystery that surrounded him the romance of his name ever gaining ground till it became an obsession with that other upstart tsar in the kremlin robbing him of sleep and appetite preying on his mind following him from room to room till at last on the thirteenth of april sixteen o five having held counsel all the morning he was struck down after dinner with a sudden hemorrhage and died within two hours murder suicide or just a failing of the distraught embittered brain who can say when so much remains for ever unaccounted for his fifteen-year-old son theodore worshipped and adored by his dead father trained with rigid care for his brilliant future was elected tsar with his mother to act as regent and it seemed almost for a time as if the gudnov dynasty would in truth hold the throne of russia but who can trust a people's loyalty already on the twenty-second of may the submission of the army was brought to dmitri at Putyil, while in moscow the populace rose in his favour storming the kremlin imprisoning theodore with his mother and sister arresting the patriarch job and exiling him to Staritza but not without a shadow of crime was dmitri beginning his triumphant march on moscow to reach the throne for either by his orders or with his tacit consent theodore and his mother were murdered in the grim old gudnov palace the body of the boy who was to have been a great tsar was publicly exposed while his sister the lovely dark-eyed Senya, who in her despair had tried to poison herself was saved by dmitri's orders for he had heard of her beauty so the girl who was to have been the bride of a king's son was held for the pleasure of the phantom tsar the man peasant or monk or prince who worshipped the fragile grace of marina Menishik, but who with his ardour and almost fierce vitality seemed to have been given also some of his supposed father's love for the beauty of women and senya was very lovely so lovely indeed that marina hearing rumours presently grew jealous and to placate the feelings of a little polish princess 
Senya was sent into the grim solitude of a distant convent, where many years later she was again to be taken prisoner by Cossacks. Squat, broad-shouldered, coarse-featured, and yet possessing a certain irresponsible charm, impetuous and brave with the strength of a giant, Dmitri was meanwhile startling his subjects and upsetting their ideas of the pious, somewhat effete inefficiency of sovereigns by riding untamed horses, taking part in bear fights, and never resting in the afternoon. The almost exalted enthusiasm that had attended his welcome to the city when, surrounded by Russian boyarins, Polish noblemen, priests in gorgeous vestments, and strelitii in scarlet and gold, he had made his triumphal entry, was beginning to waver. To the common people he was still the long-lost Tsarevich Dmitri, but, encouraged by the boyarins, the friction between the Russian and Polish factions was growing. The suspicion that Dmitri was nothing more than an impostor was whispered abroad. It was rumoured that he had turned Catholic. Even his clemency in pardoning Vasily Shuisky, condemned to death for refusing to acknowledge him as the Tsarevich, fed the growing discontent. The arrival of Maria Nagoy, known now under the name of Marfa, from the long exile of her convent, her public recognition of the phantom Tsar as her son, only adds to the mystery. Did she really recognize in this broad-shouldered man, with the laughing audacious eyes, the little golden-haired boy of Uglich? Or, still filled with her hatred of the house of Gudnov, did she smile quietly to herself, as she acknowledged the impostor who had overthrown their rule? For eleven months the phantom Tsar reigned in Moscow, while all the time his enemies plotted to overthrow him, and the list of his supposed crimes against the people grew from day to day he was an impostor and a renegade a heretic and a vagabond he was accused of vast extravagance of profligate living of conspiring with the pope against the orthodox church with the arrival of marina accompanied by a huge retinue of poles with the brilliant celebrations that attended her wedding and coronation the dissatisfaction reached its height assiduously the report was spread about that dmitri and the poles were planning to kill all the boyers that the sham fortress the masquerades and mummeries only hid more sinister designs while on the other hand to incite those who were loyal to the pretended son of ivan it was whispered that the poles were plotting to assassinate the tsar so while the early dawn of the seventeenth of may sixteen o six still veiled the kremlin in dusk the tocsin was suddenly sounded in the city clamouring bells from all parts taking up the call the gathering crowd urged on by the emissaries of Vasily Shuisky, that thankless traitor, pardoned by a too clement master, swept on towards the Kremlin, where the armed guard, faithful to Dmitri, had been withdrawn and replaced by men in the pay of the conspirators. The Poles were massacring the Russians. So the cry was sounded, and the great crowd, not knowing really what it sought, caught the fatal infection of the lust for blood, till it became like a ravaging beast, intent to kill, hunting the poles through the still-darkened streets, drawing ever nearer and nearer to the great Kremlin walls. Starting up from Marina's side, Dmitri sent Busmanov, that most faithful friend, to inquire into the cause of the uproar. "'It is perhaps a fire in the city,' was the answer given by one of the guards, but Dmitri, listening to those howling voices, shook his head while the terrified Marina wrung her hands. 
the crowd were in the palace now basmanov going bravely out on the staircase to try and hold them back was struck down and trampled on and when dmitri bearing his mighty arms sent for his sword it could not be found and always that hideous clamour was drawing nearer the streletsii guard were some way off but they were faithful to him if he could get to them lead them to the attack he might still save the crown the first pink light of the spring day flushed in the sky as the grim chase began in the palace till hunted trapped on all sides dmitri either slipped or flung himself from one of the windows falling with a sickening crash on the stones of the courtyard here some of the strelitzii found him and bruised and bleeding he was carried into the guard-room waking to tortured consciousness his eyes rested on the bearded faces of the boyers who had assembled beating down the resistance of the strelitzii with threats to murder their wives and children did they dare defend the impostor and feebly the tsar signed to the hesitating men to let him be through the swaying mists the threatening figures closed in bullets and sword thrusts insults and blows rained down on the man who for a short time had been all-powerful ignominiously the poor broken shattered body was dragged through the streets to the convent of the ascension where it was shown to maria nagoy is this your son she was asked and shuddering she turned away you should have asked me sooner was all she said such as it is i cannot say it is my son her evasive words were taken as a denial but again one wonders what was really in her mind then the body of the phantom tsar was stripped and put up on the lobnoi mest with the body of the faithful basmanov lying at its feet the wounded face was covered with a hideous ribald mask and for three days the curious crowd came to gaze on this renegade monk this daring impostor who had had the effrontery to place on his head the sacred crown of the monomachs and meanwhile in the city the massacre of the poles continued marina was saved by hiding beneath the full skirts of one of her women her father garrisoned in his palace was spared by the intervention of shuiski till at last after three days the tempest died away the body on the lubnoi mest was taken down and flung into the wasteland beyond the walls where outcasts and beggars were allowed to rot but not so easily could the false dmitri be destroyed his figure was seen moving haltingly among the shadows while blue flames flickered all night long over the wasteland the body was buried deeper but still over the grave the flames fluttered in the dusk and still the citizens came with their tales of the dread figure of the phantom tsar so at last the body was dug up again and burnt and so as to leave no trace at all the ashes were discharged through a cannon in the direction of poland and yet vasily shuiski elected tsar found his position none too easy the name dmitri ivanovitch was on all lips the official proclamation that the impostor had been none other than grishka atreyepiev the utter disappearance of the latter from yaroslevl even the exhumation of the body of the little dmitri at uglich the state burial in the archangel cathedral the beatification of his name could not still the restless disquiet that stirred the country marina and her father were banished to yaroslevl the old tsaritsa maria nagoy was sent back into her convent and still the phantom tsar could not be laid to rest the rumour even grew and spread that the body of the masked man put up on the labnoi mest had not been dmitri at all why had a mask covered the face people asked meaningly 
was it not true that below it a beard had been seen and had not dmitri been clean-shaven and had not hairs covered the chest when dmitri was known to be smooth as a girl but if some other body had been placed on the labna mast then where was the murdered tsar and was he really dead so the people whispered among themselves while on all sides insurrections and rebellions broke out false sons of ivan the terrible and of theodore gathered insurgents to their banners Blotnikov, pretending to have seen dmitri alive marched triumphantly through the country to prepare his way till he was besieged conquered and killed at tula the second false dmitri rose from the shadows of mystery cossacks and poles flocking to his stronghold at tushin where marina and her father escaping from yaroslevo came to join him publicly recognizing him as the phantom tsar though in reality there was little resemblance between the two men except that like the first false dmitri there seems to be no certainty about his real identity rumour crediting him alternately with being a czech a jew or a son of old prince kurbsky almost minutely small and slender frail dark-eyed and pale marina was possessed with a consuming fire of ambition which led her to brave all dangers to defy all prudence and common sense to endure all hardships even when confronted for the first time with the second false dmitri she shrank away with an involuntary shudder of distaste she yet overcame her horror and acknowledged him as the husband whose passionate love she had seemingly returned in her mind was still perhaps the image of her triumphant entry into moscow in a painted carriage drawn by ten piebald horses the shouts of the populace who acclaimed her the bells of the kremlin ringing their welcome the fire and glitter of the jewels dmitri gave her with such abundant generosity did the hope of such another triumph make the sacrifice worth while and compensate her for enduring the kisses of her second husband and meanwhile russia lay divided between two courts one at moscow and one at tushin and between two tsars neither of whom had sufficient courage or confidence in their position to march out openly against the other but at last shuiski called in swedish troops to his aid and after his fruitless siege of the troitsa monastery the brigand of tushin seeing his cause lost fled to where kaluga marina presently joined him then in sixteen ten came the abdication of shuiski the election of a polish princess tsar and shortly after the death of the second false dmitri in a tartar ambush widowed for a second time marina still clung to her dream of empire her baby son was acknowledged by her followers as heir to the throne while the love of zaruki the great cossack hartman whose beauty high courage and daring woke in her cold calculating little heart the first real feeling it had ever known carried her on from adventure to adventure but at last in sixteen fourteen captured by their enemies daruki and marina were brought to moscow the heroic cossack rebel was impaled the little four-year-old ivan was hung a pitiful martyr to his mother's ambition and the cause of an unknown impostor and marina herself was strangled in the darkness of her prison so ended the legend of the false dmitri and still the oft-repeated question who was the phantom tsar remains unanswered was he in truth grishka atreypiev it hardly seems likely grishka was common and plain a vagabond and a rascal could he for eleven months have governed russia with that high daring that keen progressive policy of dmitri's 
was he a pupil of the jesuits brought up by them in the belief that he was heir to the throne of moscow was it all a tortuous intricate scheme of the followers of loyola to win russia to the catholic faith the hypothesis has been put forward by several historians but has been generally discredited as dmitri seems to have shown none of the religious fanaticism or scholarly education of a pupil of a jesuit college was he then a creature of the poles put forward by them to subject the ever-growing power of russia or an illegitimate son of one of ivan the terrible's six or seven wives or was he really dmitri himself escaped from uglitch kept hidden till he was of age to proclaim himself had some other little boy's body been buried in his stead it is a possibility but against it there are the miracles supposed to have been performed at the tomb of st dmitri and to prove that the phantom tsar was the authentic little boy of uglitch makes those miracles impossible who then was the false dmitri the tsarina maria nagoy dying in her convent might have told the great bell of uglitch exiled to siberia perhaps guessed the walls of the kremlin perhaps knew but all of them are dumb and we can only dimly groping build up theories write romances and dream dreams End of chapter ten